welcome to the Edgy Punks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biderman, welcoming you to another conversation with a wonderful punk disruptor educator in the world at large. That's that's who I talk to. Those are the people that I interact with. Um, this week I'm talking with one of my best friends. His name is David Cave. David is one of the smartest, most sweetest, most kind human be- human beings that I've ever met, and I get to hang out with him like every week, which is really great. And uh, I think he's a wonderful, very smart, talented human being of whom you're going to get to learn a lot about throughout this conversation. Uh, we're going to get a lot into um, a lot of philosophy, a lot of uh, Dharma education, uh, as well as um, what it's like to be in recovery and go through the punk scrams hardcore scene in Denver, uh, where David is from. So you're, we're going to get to get into a lot of different stuff in this uh, conversation. And what's great is even the lightning round, which is normally pretty quick, ends up being one of the longer segments. So hang around. You're going to learn a lot. I'm a little stuffy right now, if you can't tell. I've uh, been kind of sick uh, this last week. Not coronavirus, I promise. Not coronavirus. Just a little bit of a head cold. So I'm not going to chat around too much before getting into the conversation, but I just wanted to say, hey, we're back. The conversations uh, with uh, Everyday Educators and Daily Disruptors is ready to recommence. I've got some cool conversations coming up in the coming weeks, and I can't wait to share those with you. also, we are part of the Connect EDU network, which is a fun, fantastic uh, group of educators that put together podcasts and educational materials uh, for the internet and your consumption. Go to connectedu.network to learn more and to uh, entertain yourself with a whole bunch of great educational, higher educational, uh, inspirational. I'm trying to think of other words to shinal this. Uh, to describe this channel, this organization. During this episode, you get to hear tunes from the new Spanish Love Songs album, Brave Faces Everyone. Uh, that comes out this Friday through Pure Noise Records. Uh, you're hearing a little bit of Losers at the beginning. I'm going to play another song in the middle, and you'll hear the, the rest of Losers at the end. Um, but for now, I'm going to dig into the conversation with David Cave. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Sitting with my best friend David Cave. We're in our spare bedroom. My spare bedroom. Not mine and David's spare bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Ours too. Ours too. Oh yeah. We just decided. We just decided this is our spare bedroom. Uh, How you doing David? Thumbs up? I'm good. I got a mouthful of soda. Hell yeah. I ask questions at the right time. (laughs) That's my my whole thing. It's like 10 p.m. This is the latest I've recorded a podcast. This is, I usually record this late because my friends and I do a horror podcast. Oh, cool. And because of the time difference, it's mm. always like nine o'clock and everyone else in my apartment is asleep. Mm. And I'm like, are you trying, whispering it? Trying to be quiet in the living room <laughs> <laughs> with like four other asshole dudes. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because we did a recording for the uh, top albums of the year a couple weeks ago. And Casey, my buddy, is out in Oregon. And so we recorded at, we started recording at like 11 a.m. So it was 8 a.m. for him. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's like, it's fine. I'm usually up. But right now, I'm usually going to bed. <laughs> I am, I have fully embraced my 30s. 
I am in bed by like 10, 10.30 now. We're also riding the wave of post-Buffalo Wild Wings. Which, we are. We are. Which uh, was a good decision. I'm always a fan of Buffalo Wild Wings. I feel more full than I should. Yeah, and I ate, I didn't eat the whole medium, but I ate a lot of the medium and a whole thing of fries. So you like the whole medium minus like four wings. That's right? true. Minus like yeah, like four maybe. Oh, good, good that's, wings. It's a lot of wings. So David, can you tell people who you are and how you got here? Um. Yeah. Um. I don't know. That's a the loaded question it is because i'm thinking like you can start at like where you're from should i just talk about what i do now and start then where work you're backwards? from yeah work work however you want to do it <laughs> so this is a funny and timely because i was just listening to the philosophize this episode about hannah arendt okay and like how she was talking about how like part of her philosophy was that um, we've oriented ourselves to work in an unhealthy way. So the only thing that we talk about is like what we do for work. Yeah. Cause that's what we think of ourselves as. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a side note. This entire freaking podcast. <laughs> I talk to people about what they do. So my first, uh, my first reaction is like, let me talk about what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Um, yeah. So I was born in a suburb of Tokyo. Um, called Yukosuka. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. Um, dude. Nibbler. I don't know if he's going after it or not. I don't know. Whatever. But it sounds like it. Um, yeah. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, moved stateside when I was one and a half. Uh, I've lived in northern Florida, Tennessee, uh, mostly Colorado. I grew up uh, around Denver in all over the Denver metro area, but spent the most time around Montbello area, um, which anybody who knows Denver knows that that's not a great area. (laughs) Um, So, and also went to many, many schools all around the Denver metro area. Went to like six different high schools because I was not a good high school student. (laughs) I went to like three different alternative high schools. Um, Yeah. Like, not good behaviorally or academically? Academically. I was fine behaviorally, um, for the most part. And all my teachers could tell that, like, I knew what was up, but Mm -hmm. I just didn't like applying it, because that shit is stupid to me. Yeah, I get it. Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, of course you can. Oh, there's another cat under there. I think football's under there. Yeah, the cats are kind of going at it. That's what I keep hearing. Um, Yeah. Um, and then I think it was around, so I didn't graduate high school technically until I was 20. Okay. Um, and huh. that was coincidentally. Did you get a GED or did you just No, go back? I, I was in an, an alternative school until then. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was the latest that you could be in high school and still graduate was the cutoff was 21. And I was like four months before I turned 21. Dang. Yeah. Um, and I got sober, like, right before that. Huh. Um, That's wild. I don't think those two events are connected at all. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I should not have graduated, to be clear, because I did not finish all the schoolwork that I should have <laughs> finished. But I went to an alternative school, and we had trackers who were, like, kind of like teachers and mentors. Yeah. And um, 
my tracker was not on top of my credits and my requirements for graduating, mm-hmm. but he just pushed me through anyway. Hmm. Um, so what, okay. So I'm, I'm curious now. Um, what made you even like still try to do it? Like to, to finish high school. If it wasn't something that you cared about or seemed to even want to do. It was mostly pressure from my parents. Um, my parents were, I don't know if that, like, I don't know. I have no idea if there's any truth to this or if anybody's had this experience who has their GED, but a lot of what my parents were telling me at the time was you don't want to get your GED because no matter what, whether they say it's like high school equivalent or whatever, it will always be looked down on as less than. Um, so they, they always told me like, even if it takes you longer to graduate from high school, you should do that as opposed to getting your GED. Hmm. Yeah. There is some definite stigma around the GED. As much as there's also, like, stigma around just even going to, like, a community college. Yeah. For for example. Which I wish I would have done also. <laughs> which I did not do. <laughs> I went straight to a university and didn't go to community college. Where did you go? Um, I went to Metropolitan State University of Denver. And I started that when I was 20, 22. I took, like, two years off. Um, was kind of, like, in the process of getting my shit together. Started going to 12-step groups. Um... I started off in NA, and then I switched over to AA after I got a sponsor in NA. It was a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was along the ride, along for the ride with me going to AA. Um, he was totally cool about it. Um, and he was going to Naropa University in Boulder, which mm. is a Buddhist college. Um, and that's how I got introduced to the whole Buddhism thing. And then I saw that he was almost 30 and still going to school, and I was like, oh shit, like... Yeah, I guess like just because I graduated high school at twenty, I could go back to school. Like it's fine to be thirty plus and still in school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, um, she was also I think around his age, and uh, she went to Naropa also. Um, so yeah, I signed up for Metro State, um, and I was just taking a few classes here and there, um, just general general ed stuff and. Still not taking it seriously because I hadn't hit that point in my life yet where, like, shit got real. Um, And had a few years where I was kind of treading water when it came to university classes. And around my mid-20s, I went through a bad breakup. um, Like, a really bad breakup. And got involved in Dharma Punks around that time as a result of the breakup. Like, Mm -hmm. trying to get some perspective and, like, get out of the funk that I was in. Um, And I think around that time, I started working for the Sheriff's Department, the Denver Sheriff's Department. I got, like, a good paying job, but that's where my dad worked. Um, Decided to just, like, take a year off from school and do that for a while. Mm -hmm. And, like, make money and live. And, uh, yeah, I stayed out of school for the next three or four years i'd only planned to be out for like two semesters (laughs) because that's how it works um yeah and during that time frame uh played in a band went through a pretty serious bout of depression um right before well i started going back to school got married shortly after um and then Continued to go to school for two or three years, and then uh, moved to Boston. Like quit my job, and my wife Kelly got transferred out here, 
Um, so we moved out and spent, what is it now, two years here? Not even. Before it, okay. Year and a half? Yeah. Two years? Um, finally transferred to UMB. Uh, David is now one of my students. UMass Boston <laughs> to finish my bachelor's degree that I started 10 years ago. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when you came to the right place, because UMass Boston is great for people who are, you know, they have a lot of life b- beneath them, behind them, and still trying to get those, still trying to get that degree done. That's how metro state was too um and especially i think like i'm a human services major and i think a lot of people in that major and probably like social work are people who've seen some shit and gone through some shit Mm because you don't really get into that field for the money obviously because it's not great yeah same with higher ed you don't really get into it until you uh reach certain levels where you can get paid a little bit more like a principal or a dean or whatever (laughs) Or associate dean, or whatever you want to, however, whatever titles mean to you. Titles don't mean shit. Whatever. Um, Do they not? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. So you dabbled a little bit throughout all that time doing some music. What was that life like for you? Um, it was fun and hard because I was working full time and I was working nights at the time. Mm. So especially when I started at the working for the sheriff's department, I was working like a swing shift i would get off at 10 p.m and there was a lot of shows where i would get out of work i would have to change my clothes and run to a show play a show and then go home and try to go to sleep right after yeah um so a lot of it like we toured i had to basically like call in sick or get time off to play a lot of shows Mm um and like juggling that and like I had just started dating my wife at the time, I think, or shortly before I'd started. The timeline's confusing because yeah. I was playing music for a couple years before we started dating, but like towards the end of the band, um, we were dating. So it was like, hey, we're practicing. It's six hours on a Sunday because like my our bass player, Eric, my friend, um, he was very experienced in the music playing music in the Denver scene, mostly metal. Um, and he was like a workaholic when it came to practicing and stuff. Like we've got to have it down. We've got to, we've got to have our shit together. Yeah. And that's like one of the things that I think we were known for in the Denver scene was like, we were tight. Like Mm -hmm. if anything, even if people didn't like us, like we were, we were tight. Yeah. We had our shit together because we practiced a lot and we spent hours and hours. Yeah. What kind um, of stuff was it? Um, it was like, mm, we always described it as emo violence, but like most people don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> no, that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense to me. Um, but we took a lot of influence from like 90s screamo and uh, hardcore bands, um, like Inhumanity, uh, Jenny Piccolo, uh, Swing Kids. Mm-hmm. And our guitar player, Ian, was very into like New Wave and... Uh, like surf rock weirdly yeah so that kind of came through in some of our stuff Sounds there's wildly cool. some overlap in that kind of in that stuff yeah i think like even if you listen to some 31g bands like festival of dead deer and mm. um well michael jason crane the i think he played guitars in festival of dead deer and um 
Retox, like he's very influenced by like surf rock too, and you can mm. definitely hear the sound in both of those bands. Mm. And Ian, our guitar player, was very similar. And he was very into like no wave, like 80s no wave from New York, like mm. Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and like DNA and stuff. So many band names. Which was just like probably more punk than punk was at the time because it was just like a bunch of people who literally didn't know how to play instruments yeah. and used they were just like yeah i'm just like hitting a guitar yeah like <laughs> at least punk they were trying to create some structure of like three chord songs these guys are like just like banging on a guitar literally yeah. that's it well i mean even like coming over here tonight we were talking about like noise music and whatnot like that also in like just ambient atmospheric bullshit it's just generally not even like structure for structures form it's just like I'm going to make some noise. It's going to aim be aimless or it's going to be droning. Like there's still some like beauty to that, I think. Mm. Cuz I used to like I got into swans a bit in grad school and that's where I was just like, "Oh, you mean the same thing over and over again for 6 minutes can actually like help me focus?" Didn't realize that. Yeah. Didn't think that that was possible. That's like we were driving over and listening to shellac and it was <laughs> literally the same fucking Bass groove riff. for like 10 minutes. Yep. That's what it was. It was like 10 minutes. It's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, it took me a minute to be able to get into that. It took me a minute to be able to get into scrams and stuff, too. Like, mm -hmm. that was like college for me, because like, before, I was not very well uh, exposed to music growing up. Um, was the Denver scene pretty, like, uh, exploratory for you? It was like... Is that just where you you learned about it all, or were you just like one of those internet kids, early, um, early adopters? I think I was more of an internet kid. Um, like in high school and stuff, I played in punk bands and like went to shows and stuff. But like, I don't know. I kind of grew out of that stuff pretty quick, just because the drama and bullshit and every, not even just the punk scene, but like every fucking scene that mm -hmm. there is. Um, it's just really irritating when people let their personalities and egos get in the way mm -hmm. of, like, having fun and playing music. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that meeting some people who played music um, played a part, and part of it was also, like, just having access to the internet. And that was, like, 2009, 2010, it was the heyday of, like, Mediafire, Mega Upload. Like, I was, on the weekend, I would spend, like eight or ten hours in front of my computer just on, like, message boards, like, talking shit and, like, finding new stuff. Like, the Cross My Heart with a Knife boards were really big then for people that were into Screamo. Um, and that's how I found out about a lot of, like, weird Screamo stuff that, like, wasn't in the popular vernacular. Yeah. Even stuff that wasn't, like, like, Tristan Zara and, like, uh, I'm trying to think of some others. Like, Dytro and Rayan. Those are pretty big screamo bands but like at the time they weren't that well known mm -hmm. um and so like i don't know how anybody would get exposed to those bands if it wasn't for message ports yeah i mean uh i learned about a lot of stuff just this is through myspace growing up like it, people would just like have the little song in their profile like what the hell is that <laughs> that's how i found like the sound of animals fighting and the blood brothers for example like mm -hmm. i found a lot of those bands through uh through um just finding stuff on the internet so yeah yeah 
It's wild that you can do that. It's good shit. You can still do that today on the internet through Spotify. And some people would share their networks. So it was like, oh, it, there's just like a huge network of like someone's iTunes library. And I would go through and just like download as much as I could fit on my computer. Yeah. And then like systematically go through and listen to everything and then delete stuff I didn't like. Hmm. Um, so I found out about weird shit. Like, um, I think of one band that not a lot of people knew about and still don't know about. I think they were from Portland was, hmm. um, Kickball. Hmm. And they were like really, they're not a screamo band at all. They're like a weird indie band, but they hmm. were fucking great. And everyone I show them to like loves them. I'm like, yeah, dude. Kickball. Yeah, they're great. And they're from Portland? I think they're from Port. They were from Portland, I think. Interesting. But they're, they're very hard to describe. But one of those bands, I think I was looking at bands that were like Owls and Cap and Jazz. And like they mm. were in that, in the message board under that. Um, and checked them out. And I was like, this is fucking way better than it should be yeah for some shit that i just randomly found on a message board um yeah yeah that's wild it's good shit yeah so but you had fun uh making some music from from what you've told me like being able to perform was like a different side of you yeah that would come out because i know you as a very mild-mannered introverted quiet human being yeah but you're like a you're the screamer right mm-hmm yeah, and a lot of people, like, when we would play shows, people would talk to me after, before or after the show and be like, you're, like, not even the same person that you are on stage. Because <laughs> I would be, like, choking myself with the mic cable, like, almost passing out, like, yeah. writhing on the floor, throwing the mic stand at people, like, pushing people. Um, I watched a lot of videos and tried to take a lot of, like, cues from... Uh, I can't remember his name, the singer from the hives. Mm-hmm. Cause he has, he did really weird, crazy shit yeah. that I'd never seen anybody do before. Mm-hmm. And like James Brown. Cause that dude was a fucking performer. Yep. He was a frontman <laughs> for sure. Like that dude had some fucking moves. Yep. Um, so I try to take some cues from them. Cause like, I'm not naturally a performer at all. Mm-hmm. Like that shit makes me very uncomfortable, but I got to the point where like, being up in front of people, um, performing, um, I could kind of click into that space and it was almost like, like we talk about like persona, like having a different persona, Mm -hmm. like that was my stage persona was different from my normal every day. Even when I was running the merch table, I was a completely different person than I was on stage. Yeah. Um, and that caused some very interesting interactions with people. Because they'd be like, <laughs> I remember one time, uh, there was a couple times actually, some people would try to hit on me because I think I was actually into like auto-asphyxiation because I would yeah. choke myself with the mic cable mm-hmm. and that had caused some weird conversations. And I'm like, no, I'm not actually, like, that's not my kink. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything against it, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's yeah. just a performative thing. Like, because yeah. it puts people off. That's why I do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I remember being a, like a frontman too it's just there's a lot of um there's a lot of um responsibility too to be like the person that put it really does put on the show unless you're like doing backflips and shit with guitars but that was story of the years thing we're not all doing that um but like with being a frontman there's like a whole other aspect of like 
I don't know. There's like just some pressure there to like make sure that you are putting on the show instead of like people forgetting your band the second that they're done. Because I think the front person or even whomever singing, like there's a lot of like attention drawn there. And as a person who doesn't really like attention, I don't know that part of you. So I'm just very like yeah um, curious because you know you know me. I love attention. So yeah, and you you see me get enough attention. So like. Uh, but that's always just something that I guess I just have to vicariously live through and be like, well, that sounds great. <laughs> Hell yeah. Good for you. I think part of it too was like seeing, uh, Alexis Marshall from daughters who like is mm. a completely different person when he's performing than yeah. normal. And like that was kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of like the, like I don't, your on stage persona doesn't have to be the rest of your personality yeah. all the time like it can be a separate thing um yeah i think um i first learned that when i would watch like videos of of uh at the drive-in mm. and cedric just going ape shit all the time and even with mars volta he would go ape shit and then like you they would do interviews with him and he's just like pretty chilled out fucking weird but like <laughs> the second any of his bands start playing like there's uh i forget what uh, it might have been no, it wasn't Coachella. It was some festival. Uh, there's a video of the Mars Volta playing, and like two minutes into one of the songs, he's already thrown two cymbal stands into the crowd. <laughs> I'm just like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I love that stuff, though. I think there's an aspect too that, like, I think about now, and it seems kind of cringy that I'm now that I'm older. Is that like there's some aspect that I was trying to tap into that was like enjoying putting people off and Mm -hmm. like having that separation with people and being like no like this is my shit get away from me like (laughs) you you can't have this oh i get that though and we kind of reveled because there was some bad blood between us and some other bands in the denver diy hardcore Mm -hmm. there was just drama and like we kind of had that as like a, a point of pride of like we used to call ourselves the most hated band in denver because we would like Ian, our guitar player, would just, we would play a set. We would not say anything to the crowd the entire set. It'd mm-hmm. be like a 10 minute set because we wouldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And he would just be playing feedback for like three minutes. And people don't want to sit there and listen to feedback for nope. three minutes. They're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And like the way he writes, it was all very like high pitched, squealy. Like it's kind of hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. And the first like three years we were playing together, we didn't have a bass player. So we had no like low end. low end holding it all together it was just all screechy shit and like people legitimately didn't like our band for a long time <laughs> and i understand why but we kind of reveled in that because it was like oh we're like the most hated band in denver like we're doing something that nobody else is doing <laughs> by actively courting people's hatred for us <laughs> <laughs> well, and in college, we were the only like metal, like metal hardcore ish band because everyone in Corvallis was making like jam bands or like indie stuff or even a couple ska bands. <laughs> um, but we were like the only one doing like anywhere near off putting music, and so we would get booked for like frat shows. And the second we start in like a living room or on a porch, people would be like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> and like. Me and my, I was always barefoot when we would perform. It was like, you know, whole Oregon hippie thing. People had no idea what was going on. So it was really hard for us to get booked. So I just became the booker of the town. And so I was like, all right, if you're going to put on this show, 
my band's playing it too. And like, I don't care if we're opening or if we're closing and people are there at the beginning or people stay until the end, like whatever we're going to play. And like, we ended up developing a pretty good scene that like had a ska band on the bill also had like, um, our band on the bill. Like it was a fun mixed bill, uh, kind of experience. Those can be fun or they can be completely terrible depending. (laughs) Oh Yeah. You gotta know who's showing up, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can think of many shows where it's like, what the fuck? I remember, okay, Portland Band. Mm -hmm. We got put on a bill with uh, this band Wizard Rifle from Mm -hmm. Portland. I think I know that one, yeah. (laughs) Like, did not know what we were walking into. That band was fucking crazy. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Wizard Rifle. to it a little bit but you've been uh, in recovery for a while mm-hmm. can you tell folks a little bit about um, what your recovery journey's been like yeah I think it's 13 years as of the first yeah a month ago now yeah. today um, yeah so I um, let's see I started drinking when I was 13 or 14 I don't really remember it now um, some people really remember that I don't um, I had my first sip of alcohol on my 21st birthday. <laughs> I just know because I waited until I was 21. Because <laughs> I was a good little boy. <laughs> um, I was definitely a binge drinker, and I drank a lot through high school with my friends. Um, my friend's adoptive dad really didn't give a shit about what we did, and sometimes like actively enabled us by buying us alcohol. Oh, good. Yeah, which was always great. Yeah. Um, so we, he was obviously the one we hang out at his house cause we can smoke cigarettes in there and we might get booze. Mm-hmm. Um, so that continued on into my late teens, 18, 19. Um, and around that time I was like working jobs, going to school, working part time, um, and still drinking. And that was kind of, I was still binge drinking pretty much every weekend for several years at that point. Um, and it started to get to a point where I was drinking a lot and I was hung over and then drinking into Saturday. And that was the day like, Hey, I've got to work. Or I was playing in a band at the time in uh, Boulder, Colorado in a metal band. And, um, 
calling into practice and then I got kicked out of the band and then I lost my job and I still kept drinking through all of that. Yeah. Mostly binge drinking. Um, and also like experiencing some undiagnosed depression, which I did not realize that was it at the time. Um, cause I kind of like actively courted this attitude of like, I've talked about this before on another podcast. Um, like this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like, like this beat generation thing where it's like, I'm gonna, there's something to learn from my, um, anguish or depression or like the Bukowski was a very good example Mm -hmm. of that, like career alcoholic. And I don't know if he ever explicitly said it, but it was, there's always this subtext of like, Oh, there's something in my suffering that I can learn from. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the stoic. I think stoic philosophy has a lot of stuff around that of like, Hey, like, Life sucks, and there's a lot of suffering, but, like, learn from it. Yeah. And so I, like, turned towards it and actively pursued more shit, and it became, like, self-punitive at a point. Um, And it was basically, like, beating myself up to make myself feel worse and hoping that there was something on the other side. Um, And still drinking a lot. Um, And I think towards the end, I was jumping fences to get into bars um like you do yeah um been there yeah streets of london was a big one they're still around um i remember jumping the fence there a few times um and there was a point where i mean i was still in high school for all intents and purposes my brother was in high school too so i spent a lot of time around like underage kids because mm-hmm. my entire friend group was like people that were like three or four years younger than me yeah because I was still in high school. Um, and there was a few parties where I was getting drunk and I was very lonely and trying to connect with another, with other people. And, um, the last night that I drank, I was trying to get anybody to come sleep with me in my room and not explicitly in a sexual way, but just mm-hmm. like in a, I want someone with me cause I'm fucking lonely and yeah. I just need someone here. And that, that next day I was like, who the fuck, like, who acts like this? Mm-hmm. How is this normal for anyone? Like, why? What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And I just had that flash of insight of like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I don't even know myself anymore. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and if I keep going down this road, it's not going to be good. Because that's when you get to, to some really icky shit that happens with people. Uh, it doesn't happen with people. People do icky shit. Mm-hmm um around that um so luckily i was able to turn away from it in time um decided to at the time i made the decision to become straight edge again which i had done in high school like years before (laughs) classic (laughs) (laughs) and of course that went nowhere um but this time like i was like okay i'm just gonna be straight edge because i don't know what else like i don't know if i have a problem that hadn't really occurred to me at that point mm-hmm. i was like i just know i can't keep doing this um and i had a friend a very dear friend in high school uh alexander he got uh clean and sober around that time it was like three or four months after after me i think in march um and uh he started going to narcotics anonymous meetings um so he invited me to go to an na meeting with him i think it was in boulder um and i was like oh like this is a thing. Like people mm-hmm. 
that have this problem like come here and talk and like work through it with each other and like maybe this will help me figure out like what the fuck is wrong with me because it wasn't just alcohol it was like I don't know. 12 step talks a lot about like character defects and character flaws and stuff. And that's kind of how I viewed it at the time was like, Mm. maybe I can get some relief from the shit that's going on internally, which was untreated mental illness. It was my major depressive disorder. Um, and that worked fine for a while. Um, I actually went there for about a year, a bunch of drama got me out, but I got a sponsor at that point. Um, um, and we still keep in touch sometimes uh, to this day, um, Chris. <laughs> I always think it's funny because the way that I noticed him was I'd never seen him in an NA meeting before. I went to NA meetings all over Boulder because that's like where I was hanging out at the time. Um, and there was just like this dude at the back of the room who was wearing a Converge hoodie. And I was mm-hmm. like, I should go talk to that guy because he's like the first guy I've seen who's into the same shit as me in mm-hmm. these meetings. Um, and then like, yeah, he ended up being my sponsor. Hmm. He was from Santa Cruz. He grew up in Santa Cruz. Um, and he got clean and sober when he was like 18. Dang. So he kind of helped me through a lot of the stuff that I was going through at that point. I was 20 and I was listening to people who had lost their their career, their spouse, their kids, their house, whatever. Like, And I was like, I can't connect to any of this shit. Like, yeah. all, of, all of the things that I experienced were like internal Mm-hmm. Um, like I just didn't feel good about myself anymore. Um, and so I really wrestled with that question of like, do I belong here? Mm-hmm. Is this for me? <laughs> like, I think a lot of young people that are trying to get sober kind of wrestle with that. And With um, NA or with AA or either? Either. Just kind of that feeling of like not having a place there because it's like, we kind of look at addiction, especially in Western culture, as, like, the bottom has to fall out, and basically you have to hit rock bottom. Like, everything has to go away for you. Yeah. And then, like, you might have some chance at redemption, but for a lot of people, myself included, that's not the case. Like, and maybe I just got lucky and turned towards the light at the right time. And yeah, didn't maybe. continue down that path, but... um. Yeah, I switched over to Alcoholics Anonymous at that point. Um, Chris and he had a little meditation group at Naropa um, that he was doing. It's like seven or eight people that would just go to an empty room in Naropa and like sit together for an hour, <sighs> meditating for an hour in it's complete silence from nothing was probably I don't know if it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it definitely took some adjustment, and I didn't really get a very in depth. Um, explanation of how to meditate at the time Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of like trial by fire um but i found it helpful and there was a lot of stuff that i learned that helped me in my sobriety later on uh, when it came to especially like sitting in uncomfortable emotions and situations because my my instinct was to turn away and like try to run from it probably like most people Mm -hmm. but at a certain point and through conversations with chris and uh through meditation like learned that like i'm not gonna learn anything or grow from running away from it like i need to turn towards it and like accept it as part of my experience um so 
Yeah, and then I kind of got away from 12-step for a while. Uh, Chris moved away. He moved back to Santa Cruz. Um, and I kind of got away from 12-step for a while until, um, like I talked about earlier, I went through a bad breakup and got involved with Dharma Punks. Um, Steve, who was great, he used to run the, the Denver Friday Night Dharma Punks group. Um, got pretty involved with them for about a year um, and then fell out again. Started dating my wife now at the time. She was um, she was kind of going through some stuff with, with substance use, and that's kind of what pulled me back into it was um, trying to get her help or try to be there with her when she was trying to get help. Um, and then I got reinvolved with Dharma Punks. It was a, a different group that did Monday nights. Um, Kat and Steve and Anne, who are all great. Um, and... Refuge Recovery was starting around that time, or, like, really getting big around that time. Mm -hmm. It's like, 2015, 2016. Um, and that's when I started doing facilitation for Dharma Punks on, on the Monday nights. Um, I was doing Dharma Talks and, like, diving deep into the Pali Canon and the teachings and, like, putting together, like, lessons on... Um, and discussions. It wasn't just, like, me preaching. It was... I tried to have more of a discussion with people mm -hmm. around like, let's talk about what right action looks like. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about privilege. Like, cause that's something that is very, uh, it's a pretty hot topic, especially in, in Buddhism, Western Buddhism. Um, and so, yeah, I learned a lot from doing that. And I brought some of that over into refuge recovery, um, had a part in, starting the foothold that refuge recovery now recovery dharma had in denver or has mm -hmm. in denver and it's pretty big there now um at the time there was only one meeting in the, i think it was in boulder mm -hmm. um that dave larson started um and it just kind of like blew up from there it like got away from us and then i moved and it's still going yeah like it's crazy um what was it about like doing the dharma punk stuff that you felt like it was a good space for you. Like, what, what, what were you finding? Uh, what, what was it that was that you were finding some sort of like um, support or help in? I think so. For me, one of the things that I struggled with, especially earlier in recovery, was especially in twelve step. They talk about the higher power thing mm -hmm. of like you need to find a higher power because you can't do this on your own. Yeah, and I was raised. Um, fairly strict Baptist. When I was pretty young, it was a lot stricter than as I got older, my parents kind of loosened up a little bit. Um, but I never felt a connection to Judeo-Christian God mm -hmm. at all. It just didn't make sense to me. And like, I think part of it's my personality type. <laughs> I don't like, uh, relinquishing control. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm a very like, I don't know if I'm a logic based, probably logic based in the sense that if it makes sense to me, then I will follow it or do it. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't make sense to me personally, mm -hmm. then I think it's complete bullshit and I want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what appealed to me about Buddhism was that it's very pragmatic and very simple. And it made sense to me right off the bat. Yeah. It was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is pretty pretty easy stuff but there is that kernel 
of every teaching that you can go and do a deep dive into and interpret in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And that kind of appealed to like my inner, uh, this sounds really douchey to say, but like philosopher, my inner philosopher. <laughs> um, cause I like thinking about deep shit like that and like kind of interpreting stuff in different ways and trying to see where else it applies and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's like what drew me to it and what helped me was it also gave me the, the sense of something that I also got from, um, academia was critical thinking like thinking deeper about stuff um, and I started to do that in my own recovery like think deeper about why I was doing what I was doing mm-hmm. where my thought processes came from where my feelings came from how I could relate to them differently um, I mean it seems like uh, from knowing you as long as I've known you you are a pretty logic based kind of person and so I've always felt like you're not going to spend your time on something that isn't like isn't worth your time or worth your like brain capacity because um, you aren't one to like waste time or energy on something that isn't like worthy of your, I don't know, (laughs) brilliance, your capacity for brilliance in a lot of ways. Whereas I, on the other hand, (laughs) will intake a bunch of just bullshit that'll just make me dumber. (laughs) I listen to Post Malone. (laughs) (laughs) I barely spend energy on the stuff that I do like. So. <laughs> I just like um, one of the early times that we just like hung out. You and I was <laughs> we drove out to Western Mass for like a day trip. You, me, and Kelly, and we ended up going to like some lunch and seeing the area a little bit. And then we drove all the way back and got to Boston. And Kelly realized that she forgot her her purse or something back in Western Mass. So I was like, "Gulp! Let let's just go right back. You you and me, David." Then the whole way back, I was just playing Post Malone, and I could tell that you were not having it. But I was really excited. <laughs> I had so much fun with it. <laughs> I'm halfway convinced that you opted to do that just so you could do that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Kelly, I'll go, I'll drive back <laughs> as long as David comes with me. Because <laughs> I was fully prepared and expecting to be having the one having to drive back to mm-hmm. get it. But then you were like, oh, let's go. And I was like, okay. Yep. And then it became the Post Malone trip. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a trip, uh, best friends trip to the Northwest here pretty soon. And who knows what the road trip tunes will be like this time around. So Post Malone better get on it. Yeah, yeah that's right, Release baby. Release material for a trip. Well, you haven't heard his whole new album, so we got to put that one on. There's a song with Ozzy on it. No shit. Yeah, there is. Huh. Yep. That's weird. One last thing that I was hoping to get into uh, a little bit is... Now you're back in school. Um, you're going to be doing some learning. You've got a lot of grown man shit coming up in your life. How do you feel right now in your early 30s, looking back on all the stuff that you've been through? How do you feel um, just like in your body as a person? 
Like taking like an inventory of yourself. I don't understand these words. For <laughs> <all>. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to come into my world as a feeler. Um, when you look back at all that stuff and all the things you've learned and accumulated. I've actually like I've been thinking about this like the last two weeks, um, which is kind of weird timing. But like thinking about all the stuff that I've done because I talk to people at work and they're like, I'm like, yeah, I tell them stories about like people I've dated or things that I've experienced and like you've done some really interesting and weird stuff mm-hmm. like, I guess I have I never really think about it that mm-hmm. way like this is just I don't know stuff came up and I did it I don't know well, on my end you have <laughs> I agree <laughs> like I have some weird stories I guess I don't know yeah um so I yeah I guess I don't really think about it that much outside of that of like Sometimes I get down on it, and I'm like, yeah, I feel like getting older, like, I'm definitely, like, calming down a little bit, um, and I think I'm I'm turning more, oh, God, I hate to say this, because it fucking scares the shit out of me, but, like, turning more internal, hmm. even more than I was before, um, which <laughs> can be bad for me, um, but I don't know, just like slowing down, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, more than I more than I did before. Yeah, doing less, maybe less opportunities are coming up. Maybe that's it. But it's wild to me because yeah, there's that side of it. But you're also starting school. You're looking for a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got a baby on the way. Got a baby on the way. There's just like a lot of working full time. Working full time. Having and, having your dog to take care of too, David. You still have a lot, <laughs> and you're still and you're. Sl- but I'm glad that you're slowing down then, because you're focusing on the things that are important. Yeah, so yeah, that's great. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I still get some excitement for sure out of my job, because mm-hmm. um, some of the people that I work with are still very much in in that phase of having a lot of excitement in their lives, mm-hmm. and it. There's some spillover into mine through the professional relationship. Yeah. Um, so I still get that outlet of, I'm in a weird fucked up situation with this person and I've got to try to help them figure it out or like we're stuck in it together. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's still that. And I, I think part of it too is like the the workaholism. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I feel like part of it is for sure. Um because our parents have kind of drilled that into us of like from an early age they're talking about college in elementary school yeah like we're preparing for college in elementary school we're not Mm -hmm. even fucking kids oh i remember my elementary school graduation and they were like welcome or congratulations to our graduating fifth graders for going to middle school. You're the class of 2010. Yeah. And I was like, it's 1999. Yeah. You're expecting me to think about college in the next, that's 11 years. I don't even have that as a concept. Yeah. It was wild to me. Like them even bringing that up. I was like, that's. Not attainable. Just leave us alone and let us listen to Limp Bizkit. Hell yeah. I want my Walkman, baby. Josh and I were talking about getting Walkman the other day. Because we still have some CDs. 
Oh. We could just have some peppermint mochas and sit sit back and listen to our Walkman. Someday. Yeah, because we can't walk with them because they'll skip every other step. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you a new song from the new Spanish Love Songs album called Brave Faces Everyone. This song is called Kick. It comes off of that album that comes out this Friday through PureNoiseRecords.com. Go to PureNoise.MerchNow.com or go to SpanishLoveSongs.com to get yourself a vinyl copy. Get yourself a bunch of cool shirts. There's a lot of cool opportunities to get some CDs as well. And there's a lot of cool stuff there that you can snag to rep Spanish Love Songs. And if you remember back in the fall of 2018 we uh interviewed dylan from spanish love songs uh in our kitchen and we ate a bunch of uh cheesecake factory so if you want to go back and listen to that episode just give us a quick quick search on the website and you'll be able to to listen to that episode it's a really fun conversation because dylan's a former baseball player it was cool to talk about that and you can hear more about the band and how uh how they've evolved and Hopefully you'll enjoy the new tunes as much as you enjoyed the previous tunes. If you are just now hearing the band for the first time, then hell yeah, you're in for a huge treat. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. They're good friends of ours. Go support our friends. Here is Kick by Spanish Love Songs. Shock. You sat numb in your room for hours, ignoring. 
You're moving H with a guy to catch up, but it's clear you're using. I didn't have the guts to be a better friend. But what's another 10 grand gonna fix in the end? Kick by Spanish Love Songs. Go to purenoise.merchnow.com or go to SpanishLoveSongs.com to get yourself a vinyl copy, digital copy, CD, or a bunch of cool shirts, sweatshirts, and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can have to support Spanish Love Songs. Uh, they're really good friends of ours, like I said, so just make sure that you go out there, get to the gig. They're coming up. They're coming through the States with uh, the the Wonder Years, uh, and it's going to be a really huge tour. Wonder Years, Free Throw, Pool Kids, and Spanish Love Songs. Oh, man. It's a really great gig. Make sure you get out to that one. A lot of the dates are sold, selling out or sold out. So hopefully you're able to actually get to the gig. Now let's finish off this conversation with David Cave. To wrap things up, I like to do like a little bit of a lightning round kind of thing where I just ask you a couple things about yourself that are kind of like somewhat on topic, but mostly off topic, just so folks can get to know another side of you, the other side of another you, another side of me. A tender side of you. Oh, like Bob, another side of Bob Dylan. Another by, but another side of me. David Cave. <laughs> um, what's your favorite color? Uh, I don't know. I don't have one. You're always in black, but I don't. Red or blue, maybe. Red or blue. If you if you put a gun to my face, I'd probably say red or blue. Red or blue. Maybe green. <laughs> then you still... Oh my god. <laughs> the only other color than black that I see you in is green. So. That might be it. Olive green's pretty great. All, yep, olive I like green. olive green. Olive green. Uh, what about your favorite food? Uh, Type of food. Specific, even. A very specific? If you want to get very specific. Uh, give me a burrito smothered in green chili. Mm. Any Anyone specific make it for you? Mm, no. Okay. I, I do. I know it's cliche, but I like illegal peats. Mm. It's great. Nice. It's good stuff. I still haven't been there. I, I need green chili in my life. I miss it very much. Oh, Massachusetts doesn't do it right, right? Just, they don't know what the fuck green chili is. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite place you've ever visited or traveled? Um, uh, for Kelly and I's honeymoon, we went. We drove across Ireland, um, through like the southern half of Ireland, and I think that might be one of my favorite trips um just because i was writing to someone a a few months ago like it feels to me and i haven't been like everywhere in the world so don't take this like an exhaustive statement but to me it feels like one of the only places that i've been where like some magical shit might still be like they talk about like fairies and shit and like when you're there, you're like, yeah, dude, there could be fucking fairies out there. Like, I don't know. Anything's possible here. <laughs> it's Midsummer's Night, Midsummer Night's Dream out there, baby. Fairies. But I do... Um, a couple years ago, we went to Sweden, and we got to stay on my family farm that my great-grandfather 
ran away from and moved to New York mm. to become a doctor, which he never did. Anyway, it's where he lived, so it was kind of cool seeing, like, some family history and very distant cousins and, like, land that I have no connection to mm-hmm. personally, but, like, learning about my fam- familial connection to it mm-hmm. was kind of cool. And hearing stories about uh, wild hogs in the forest, because mm-hmm. there's... 40 to 50 feral hogs in that Swedish forest. <laughs> oh my god, always bring it back. We're bringing that back. Bring it back. Man, it had a moment. Uh, what about a favorite TV show? Uh, oh, Jesus. Either all time or even current. Recent. I'm trying to think of something that I go back to a lot. Um, I go back to Twin Peaks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just watched... Season three, not too long ago, and have very mixed feelings about it, but uh, Seinfeld is also great. Classic. Yep. I watch that all the time. Mm-hmm. The Office is also classic. Yep. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's like my definitive all-time favorite TV show, and I don't know that I have one. That's fine. I think those those three are about as close as I could get. Well, I know you're a movie guy. Yeah. What were your top movies last year? Oh, God. You're going to put me on the spot like that. Or even, like, it. what are some that you liked, uh, have liked all time, even? <laughs> Just off the top of your head while you look up the rest of your... Um, Alien is probably my favorite movie of all time. Alien? Okay. I saw that when I was a kid, and it scared the shit out of me. It still scares the shit out of Dang. me. Dang. Um, and I just love the look of it and, like, the universe of it. Um, Stalker, the 1979 Tarkovsky movie, hmm. is also great. Very long, but it's great. Yeah. Um, Blade Runner 2049. It's oh, my, yeah. One of my top faves. Uh, uncut Gems. Mm. That was a gem. Yep. An uncut one. I went off on the debate the other night about how Adam Sandler deserved a nomination. Um, Doctor Sleep, I actually quite enjoyed. Oh, okay. I did not think I would enjoy that as much as I did. That's The Shining, right? Uh, yeah, the sequel. Um, I didn't read the book. I heard the book was not good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know you hated Midsummer. <laughs> I just thought it was way overblown. I don't know. I'm not a... Okay, so I'm not a movie guy. <laughs> you know this. But, like, I'm trying to become one. Where, like, I at least... You got me to get the AMC A-list so that I would go to see more movies. And I did. I saw some more movies last year than I think I've ever seen in any given year. And... Uh, I think I'm starting to get it, but like I watched Midsummer in the same time, the same day I watched Hereditary. And I think I went into it being like, Hereditary was fine. Yeah. And Midsummer is fine, but I don't get like why it's so. They're very different movies. Affecting. I don't get what's so affecting about them. Mm. I think Hereditary, when I saw it in the theater, I was more. It's like killing of a sacred deer. Like, I was consistently unnerved because mm. of the family drama. Yeah. That was, like, putting me on edge. Yeah. Because it, like, definitely hits a nerve. Like, if you ever have any uh, family drama in your life where, like, you have parents yelling or, like, fighting in your family, mm-hmm. like, definitely it can be triggering or, like... No, oh, for sure. Something close to that. Um See, and Put you on edge. I forget, who's the person who did Killing of a Sacred Deer? Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Because he also did um, 
he did the lobster the lobster the favorite and the favorite yeah and i love those movies i love all three of those movies i was telling someone today i was like i don't his the way that he writes dialogue i don't think he's ever heard another person talk because <laughs> the way that he writes dialogue it's like hearing an alien speak like no one talks like that what the fuck yep <laughs> makes sense we saw the dead don't die together. Yep, and that movie was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> there was someone I saw on my like Instagram list that I actually listed that as one of his favorite movies of the year, and I was like, I, I have to unfollow you now. I don't know how <laughs> that movie was so bad. Like it started out so promising too. I remember yeah. it being like fifteen minutes in, we're like, okay, what is this? <laughs> and then it just went downhill. It's not even, yeah. I I've seen some Jim Jarmusch stuff. I like. I actually really like Dead Man. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Uh, like deconstruction of the Western genre, but yeah. man, that one is not not good. Uh, we saw Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu, baby. That is the full title. Shazam! That was a great surprise. Yep, Shazam was a really good surprise. Beach Bum, I think. We both didn't know how to feel about nope. it. Nope. But it was funny. But the but what bound us together in, in our love of that film was Zach Efron. <laughs> Zach Efron being a vaping Jesus bro. That was so I love good. It. I love it. I think didn't we see Mortal Engines together too? Yeah, we did, and I don't remember anything fine. about that movie. It was fine. Um We saw Parasite together? Yeah, we did. Parasite it's we saw the farewell together. Parasite might be my top one. Farewell's up there too. Yep, those were my one and two last year. I'll I really enjoyed Parasite. Um, I like a good Bong Joon Ho flick. Oh yeah, and then I watched Snowpiercer not mm. long ago either. That was great. That movie like surprised the shit out of me. That was great. They ate babies. <laughs> <laughs> that wild sequence in the the preschool and the or preschool school nuts <laughs> they're making it in, into a tv show snowpiercer yeah huh. it's already like gonna debut soon huh yep whole thing i wonder if it's gonna be any good i don't know maybe is it gonna be like the mist because i heard the mist is not good and oh, I, like I don't that know what movie. that is the it's mist a, it's spoopy oh okay um two more and okay. we might also spend a little bit more time because I know that they're, they're both important to you. What about uh, favorite book of all time? Oh, fuck. Um, or books that you like to read? Maybe an author? Uh, I really like Haruki Murakami. Um, the first one I read from him was uh, Wind Up Bird Chronicle. Which, like, if you ever look at that book, it's fucking the size of a dictionary. I don't know mm-hmm. how. That was my first one from him. Yeah. Um but I think my favorite from him is Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. Mm. Um, that one's just great, weird, super weird sci-fi, um, and emotionally affecting, if I if I may say so. The robot can feel. <laughs> um, let's see. I really like Dostoevsky too. Mm. Um, I just have a soft spot for Russian lit. Apparently. I like Nabokov a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I just like the way Nabokov writes, because it's very, like, I don't know, the w- it's very poetic in a way. He has a way with language that I really like. Um, and let me see. Let me think of some others. Uh, Vonnegut. I really like mm-hmm. Vonnegut a lot. 
because he's got such like a wry sense of humor and wit about him that like I respect. Um, yeah, he didn't take things too seriously. His sense of humor is like I think it appeals to me because like I have a very sim- similar sense of humor. It's like very dark and like not like. I don't know, there's also, like, an undercurrent in his stuff of, like, sadness, too. Because hmm. there's, like, some character stories. I think of in uh, Galapagos, there's a character who, like, his job was during the the nuclear tests in the uh, Pacific Atoll, I think, was, like, leaving animals on these islands to get nuked to hmm. see, like, what happened to mm-hmm. them. And, I re- like, that's a character beat or character story that sticks out in my mind because I'm like, man, that's, like really tragic yeah character backstory and like fucked up but like damn mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah i really like those i've been reading a lot of like weird fantasy sci-fi stuff lately um like gene wolf um book of the new sun i think a lot of people are like this is like if fantasy is literature this is it yeah because like you read it and you don't know what the fuck is happening until the end and then you're like holy shit and then you have to reread the whole thing over again (laughs) to get it um which like kind of appeals to me from like a literature standpoint but i don't know if it's really gonna Mm -hmm. blow my mind like it seems to blow everyone else's mind Hmm. because it's one of those things i feel like everybody's kind of like pumping it up to be something it's not yeah but i guess i'll find out when i get to the end yeah, maybe. Um, I've also been reading a lot of um, cosmic horror and like weird fiction stuff mm. um, in the vein of Lovecraft, who is was pretty terrible. I will say there are some modern cosmic fiction and uh, weird lit authors who are kind of like taking to task his horrible aberrant views on uh specifically on race Hmm. um victor laval i just finished the ballad of black tom which is about it's like a cthulhu universe story from the perspective of a black man in Hmm. 1920s harlem jeez yeah which was interesting i don't think it really like did much to to take lovecraft's views on race to task but it provided an interesting perspective for it yeah um yeah and i really like laird baron a lot Hmm. he writes he writes a lot of like queer cosmic horror um not all of his stuff is but there's a good amount that is Hmm. i talked a lot about beat beat stuff yeah i haven't read any beat authors in a long time i really liked kerouac for a long time and ginsburg um, I know those guys all have like pretty serious character flaws now. Yeah, yeah. In retrospect, they weren't the greatest of people. But um, I think just like their adventurousness and uh, the things that they did are very interesting. And the way that they wrote about them was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I also have a soft spot for uh, philosophy, specifically like existentialist, French, French existentialist yeah. writing. Um, I really like Camus and uh, Sartre too. Heard a lot of Camus in college. I think Camus, between the two, um, I think Camus is the better fiction writer for sure. Hmm. Sartre, I read Nausea and it was <clears throat> one of the most boring books that I've ever read in my fucking life. Jeez. Uh, I almost put it down about a hundred times. If you ever read anything by him, just read Existentialism is a Humanism because it's a pretty good like primer on what existentialist philosophy is. Hmm. But Camus, like, he was 
great. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of his stuff I connect with on the same level as like how I connected with Kafka in high school. Because hmm. I read a lot of Kafka like pretty late in high school and like really connected with it in a weird way. Hmm. Um, and I still have no idea why. Because <laughs> it's very weird and very like... I think for me that what I value in media, especially in books and in movies, is atmosphere and mood over pretty much everything else. Yeah. Like... Twin Peaks is not very well written, but it has so much atmosphere and mood that, like, I really get into it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of value the same things in books, too. Um, and that's why I like Lovecraft. Like, his writing is very heavy on atmosphere and mood, but yeah. the characters are one-dimensional. Half the time they're boring as shit. Like, <laughs> fucking make stupid choices all the time. But, like, the dude could create atmosphere and mood mm. with words. Um I guess music too, to an extent. Yeah, I was literally about to go into <laughs> music that, like, all time, and if there's anything current, I know you have a hard time getting into recent stuff, but um, some stuff that maybe folks could dig into, if you have suggestions. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. We talked a lot about Scream, so I'm going to totally avoid that no. altogether. Um, I like a lot of, like, atmospheric, moody especially ambient stuff um i got pretty into the vaporwave stuff when it was big mm-hmm. mostly like the ambient vaporwave stuff like mm-hmm. um hke hong kong express um uh telepath is really really good um one of my faves um 2814 which i think telepath and hong kong express it was like a collaboration between the two um they put out some really good interesting albums it's mostly like if you think of like the Blade Runner soundtrack, it's very similar mm-hmm. to that. Like just more mood, heavy on mood mm-hmm. than like anything else. Um, I just went through my Spotify and remembered that the Suspiria soundtrack that Tom York did mm-hmm. was fucking great. Um, and that movie is also great. Everybody should check that out. You got me into Rollo Tomasi. Mm-hmm. That, that I don't remember the name of the album. But that was a good album. Time will die and love will bury it. Top favorite band, uh, probably Fugazi. Fugazi. I would put Fugazi up there. Um, nothing, nothing that anyone's gonna want to know. <laughs> uh, listen Some to corn. <laughs> Hell yeah! I know how much you love corn. I it, hey, I mean, going back, we have our throwbacks. Stuff, I'm into my taproot. You're into your corn. I listened to The Damned the other day because I was going back and... You're all about uh, Limp Bizkit too, right? <laughs> Limp Bizkit's great. I almost said Spotify. Slipknot. 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 That first album is a banger, um, I gotta say. True Widows put out some great music that I pretty much love everything they put out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that band is way underrated and should be more appreciated than they are. Hmm. They put out some great shit. Hell yeah. Well, David, thanks for sitting down and chatting with me. It's past our bedtimes, but... Time well spent, right? Time well spent.
There you have it. That's it. We did it. Another episode of the Edge of Punks podcast done and in the books. I hope really hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with David. Uh, again, one of my favorite people and uh, learned so much about him, even just sitting here and chatting with him in our spare room. Uh, really glad that he shared a lot of stuff with us and was willing to be open and honest because I know it's a little bit of a challenge for him sometimes, but I was really glad that we were able to get into, to get, to get into it with him. Uh, also big thanks to our friends in Spanish love songs for letting us play some of their new songs, uh, coming out with their new album this Friday called brave faces. Everyone, it comes out on pure noise records, go to purenoise.merchnow.com or Spanish to get yourself a vinyl copy or some shirts or whatever you want. Just support the band, support the labels and, uh, wear the merch and listen to the tunes. That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. And uh, last but not least, Connect EDU. Go to Connect EDU Network, uh, ConnectEDU.network. There we go. Um, to check out all of the sweet educational content that me and a bunch of other uh, content creators are doing for higher ed and educational uh, educators. Educational educators. I am fucking stupid. Um, but there we go. I'm going to leave it in. I don't care. Educational educators. I'm very dumb. I don't know if you're even listening to this point, but here we go. If you heard this and you got to the end, tweet at me and be like, Craig, you're dumb for saying educational educators. And I will completely retweet you and admit to my stupidity. But if no one does, then I'll know that no one listened. Ha <laughs> ha. But until next time, let's get to work. 